When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Carl Morris. Visit patreon.com slash positivelytrek to help support the podcast. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and more. Thanks to all of you for your support. And now, let the show begin. Ugh, collector's Guild. Just a bunch of greedy pack rats. Wasn't he the one who tried to collect data? They all tried to collect data. Why couldn't they leave data alone? He just wanted to feel... The podcast. The podcast in summer. The hosts prepared to talk about Lower Decks. Welcome everyone to the Positively Trek Lower Decks Review Show. I'm Dan Gunther. With me as always is Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how are you doing today? Greetings, Bruce in the chair, on the mic, at Canadra. (laughs) Excellent. I love it. The Temerians are just one of my favorite things in Star Trek. That episode, Darmok, was terrific. And now we get another canon Temerian and more fun at Tanagra and more Shaka when the walls fell and all of that stuff. So really, really happy uh, to have that in this episode. So uh, for those of you who haven't clued in already, we are talking about the second episode of season two of Lower Decks. Kayshawn, his eyes open. And uh, yeah, this was spoiler alert right off the bat. I loved this episode. I thought this was terrific. Uh, Bruce, what were your initial thoughts for this episode? Yeah, I like this episode. I, I didn't laugh out loud like it did on the first one, but there were moments, of course, I laughed, but I was very much entertained throughout. You know, I was invested in the episode. So it doesn't always have to make me laugh out loud as long as I'm enjoying myself. Yeah, this one, I I have to say this one did make me laugh out loud. I was really liking this one, Uh, but we'll get into it. So, of course, kind of goes without saying, but here's your official spoiler warning for this episode. If you've not watched it, we're going to spoil the heck out of this episode as we go through it. So uh, to start with, we get kind of a mainstay of Star Trek, something that's been mentioned many times throughout Star Trek, but only seen a couple of times before. And that's the sonic showers. We get this kind of communal shower scene with a bunch of the Lower Decks characters with some very creative blurring. The sonic waves create like a blur effect, which like I love that kind of automatic censoring. 
in season one, we had Naked Boimler with the black bar, but here we just get the sonic waves kind of blurring everything out. Yeah, this is uh, full nudity. We, we're not used to full nudity in Star Trek, but we'd be getting it with Lower Decks. So we're seeing their Lower Decks. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, yeah, we, we get to see, I, I don't know, Jet's Jet? No, anyway, we're gonna, <laughs> we'll leave that alone. <laughs> I too bad Boimler. I almost said in Boimler's Boimler, but he wasn't there. So you know, it's funny. That's about what. That's what I was about to say too. And then I realized, oh wait, no, he's not there. Yeah, <laughs> so I had to go with Jet. Somebody saw it on Titan. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. So speaking of Jet, this is uh, kind of a reintroduction of him. We had him last season for a bit during the Cupid's Errant Arrow episode, and he's back here, kind of filling Boimler's spot. And again, we're seeing Mariner missing Boimler, even though she's not saying it out loud. She's comparing Jet to Boimler, saying like, well, actually, Boimler always, you know, moves over there because he has a problem with communal nudity. And Jet's like, well, he's not here and I don't have a problem with it. So live with it. But uh, yeah, I I love this scene. I thought it was interesting to get into a bit of the psychology of Mariner and how she's missing Boimler. And also just seeing the the sonic showers again. I think we first saw them sort of in the motion picture. And then we saw them full on in the Voyager episode Juggernaut. And uh, they look a little different here, but I like the effect they're going for. I just really want to understand the sonic showers in more detail. I have my Star Trek encyclopedia sitting over here i guess i could look up and see what it says but why the towels you know like (laughs) do they need to dry off they don't need to dry off is it just because it's modesty just when they're heading there they just wrap something around themselves like i want to know about the towels it's probably yeah just something they can easily put on and remove for modesty slash warmth as they're making their way to the showers so they don't have to deal with their whole uniform but uh, to the point that you guys were saying in the live show which i caught a little bit of i've been really busy but i managed to catch a bit of it you and brandy took over the live show this week on my youtube channel thank you so much for that by the way uh robes i think would be a much better idea but i don't know maybe it's just the visual of the towel just kind of works i like the towels though i mean I like to think that maybe when you get out of the sonic shower, you just kind of want to wipe some sonic off of you. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, maybe it just gets the last little bit of dirt off you, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, that doesn't strike me as the most efficient way to clean, but sure, why not? (laughs) Sure. I just wonder, like in the laundry room, they're like, why am I cleaning all these towels that really aren't dirty? Well, from there, we uh, we go to the opening credits. And after that, we get into the main part of the story here, which is apparently a member of the Collector's Guild has died and his collection needs to kind of be cataloged and and gone through to see what dangerous items he has. And they've uh, requested help from Starfleet and the Cerritos is assigned to that task. So, yeah, the, this is a collector like... For example, Kivas Fajo we saw in the TNG episode, The Most Toys. This guy would seem to be part of kind of the same organization. And uh, we get a few shout outs to that that episode, including uh, the idea that every collector out there has tried to collect Lieutenant Commander data. So that was not a unique experience, apparently. Yeah, you know, they said, oh, they try to collect data. I was like, data as in 
lieutenant commander data or just they're collecting data <laughs> you know and i thought oh no i think they're talking about lieutenant commander data but at the same time it just sounds like oh they're collecting data a small d yeah but no they were definitely talking about about data i think when uh counselor miglimo says oh the only thing he did was try to feel or something like that. <laughs> right and as i don't know if you noticed but as the shot goes to somewhere else he's in the background and he wipes away a tear mm. thinking about data and his quest to feel <laughs> oh that's so touching see it's a touching episode Aw, that was really cute. I love that. I love Miglimo, Paul F. Tompkins, even though he just had a small role in this episode. That was really fun to see him there. Yeah, it was kind of weird because I'm so used to him on his podcast. You know, the Star Trek one called Pod Directive. And just hearing his voice on there, I'm like, I know that voice. I hear it on a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But Miglimo, I, I always want him to do like Miglimo on the podcast because I just love that character, even though we've only seen him a couple times. But speaking of characters, we get an introduction of a new character here. The namesake of the episode, Lieutenant Kayshawn, the first Tamarian in Starfleet, who is apparently the new tactical officer of the Cerritos. And uh, we get his introduction here Uh in an odd kind of Tamarian way when he says Raplunky when he joined the seven and everybody kind of looks at him weird. And then he says, Oh, uh, I, I mean, uh, uh, sorry. Um, it's an honor to meet you. <laughs> I like that this character has stumbles through standard and then, you know, he has to fall back into his talk, his Tamarian talk and stuff, because, you know, I thought maybe this character would always, stop talking his metaphors throughout and everybody would always be a little confused of what he's saying but it makes sense that he would know standard because he went through starfleet academy and he needs to be able to communicate with the ship but i like that they work it in where he's like oh what's that word again and he just like you know but he says it in his tamarian phrase mm-hmm. yeah i love those moments where he's like oh um oh how do you say uh and then you know, Shaka when the walls fell or whatever, right? I, I did love that. But I, I love that this is, you know, it makes sense. It's not like he just speaks that way, like you were saying, but he's falling back into that pattern every once in a while in kind of moments of stress or whatever. I love that. I thought that I think that's a fun gag and I hope that continues on through the show. I hope we see a lot more of this character. Yeah, and I like his little knife on his chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little cultural accoutrement. Like, you know, Worf gets to wear his sash and Bajorans sometimes get to wear their earrings and stuff. So I love that he has his little uh, Tamarian knife, which, of course, we saw in Darmok as well. Yeah, I want to see if he ever uses it, but it'd probably be like he's slicing an apple, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just handy to keep around, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Or he's, you know handling his cuticles or something you know like cleaning up Mm -hmm. so we get the uh, away mission to the ship and it's kind of fun because our four heroes get to go on the on the mission Our, our four heroes this week of course including jet instead of boimler so we've got mariner tendy rutherford and and jet all going with kashan to this ship to help catalog these things and i gotta say I try to do a an Easter egg video every week, and my next couple might be pretty delayed. 
But uh, regardless, I've got a big job ahead of me with this episode because there are so many Easter eggs and little hidden things on this ship, which makes sense. It's a collection of stuff, right? So they're going to fit in as many different Easter eggs as they can. But there's there's so many here. I don't even know where to start. We're talking about all of these. Yeah, because when I did the live show with Brandy, Aaron Harvey gave her a list of 50 Easter eggs. And this episode, and we didn't read through them all. She was like, there's no way I can go through all of these. But I I have not really taken the time to freeze frame this because when they're on the collection ship, that's apparently where all these Easter eggs are housed or different scenes in the ship, you know, different camera angles. And I, I just have to freeze frame everything and just stare at it for a while because I'm sure I'm still going to miss something. But yeah, it's just chock full of stuff. I've seen other people online comment about there's just so many. Oh, definitely. I think Trek Culture did a video and they, they ended up with 58 or something like that. Like, And I think there's probably still more that they missed as well. So uh, yeah, there, there's tons in there. Ones that just stick out to me that I remember off the top of my head, we had like the baseball cap from the Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite episode with the Vulcan team logo on it. We had the Excalibian diorama with uh, Lincoln with the spear through his back. Uh, we had um, part of the, the, the Temerian probe that scanned Picard's mind. Uh, and the darkest one, which we have to talk about, and this is dark, the bones, the skeleton of Spock 2 from the animated episode, The Inter- Infinite Vulcan, the where they cloned Spock and he was this big, huge, like 50 foot tall version of Spock. Uh, apparently at some point he died and his remains have ended up in this collection. That's dark. I don't That's Wow. <laughs> I I think right now that that's probably my favorite part now of this episode because the first time I watched it, I didn't get it. Like, because as I was watching, I just thought, like, I saw these bones and I was thinking dinosaurs. And then I saw this one and I know it's more of a human shaped skull, but I still was thinking large dinosaurs. I'm like, why would this creature be wearing a blue tunic from the original series that's ripped up. I'm like, that's kind of strange. And then when it fell, it was, you know, big. And I'm like, I don't really get it. So the second time we watched it, I paused it there. Just not because I was pausing it to stare at it. It's just, I was doing a meeting at the time, a virtual meeting. So I'm watching this at the same time. Cause I was bored during the meeting and I just naturally paused it there to listen to people talking about something and then I just kept staring at it. I'm like what is this thing and then when I started to hit play and it fell down as soon as it fell down I'm like it's giant <gasps> giant it's giant <laughs> Spock that's who it, duh and I was like oh I love this <laughs> yeah like what a what a deep cut I love it and I have to say as soon as I saw the tunic on this big huge skeleton I was like oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I for for whatever reason recognized that immediately, and I was like, "Wow, that's that's Spock! Like in every way, shape, and form, that's just a giant Spock, and he died somehow, and now he's in this collection. Wow, I, <laughs> I didn't even know what to do with that. That's crazy. Yeah, so oh, I man. really want somebody to do a story about the death of giant Spock. 
Yeah. And Aaron Harvey, shout out to Aaron Harvey with his podcast Drawn to Trek as well. Uh, he did suggest, and this is not beyond the realm of possibility, that Spock was cloned again, perhaps. And maybe Spock 3 is out there somewhere. So, Or maybe he was cloned again and this is Spock 3 or something like that. So, Or maybe there's multiple clones and there's multiple giant Spocks running around the galaxy. Like there could yeah, be a huge ship of giant Spocks all as the crew. I still, okay, if that's the case, I still want that chip to like show back up at Earth with all of these huge Spocks going to Starfleet and saying, okay, we've completed our mission. What what do you have for us next? Please assign us. <laughs> that would be interesting. They have their own huge Spock starship or something. Yeah. There's so many opportunities with giant Spock. I'm just trying to think of stuff that, you know, like even if we got giant Spock, if there was a clone, we had a giant Spock in Star Trek Picard. <laughs> you know, like Riker's making pizza and giant Spock walks in and Riker's like, you want any pizza? And Spock's like, it's too small for me. Yeah. Or I'll, I'll take my usual 12 pizzas or something like that. <laughs> right. Vegetarian, of course. All right. <laughs> little bits in this episode, by the way, just I, I love the little throwaway lines and that kind of thing. One of my favorite bits is that apparently they say Boimler would have loved this mission because he took ethics of collecting at Starfleet Academy as one of his courses. I just I really want to take the ethics of collecting class at Starfleet Academy now. <laughs> that would be cool. I mean, they, we should do we should create an online course about all the different items we see in Star Trek and portray it like a collecting course, like mm -hmm. an actual in-universe Starfleet course. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun for sure. So, we've, yeah, we've got them on this ship. They're cataloging all this stuff. We're getting all these Easter eggs and that kind of thing. And they're told not to touch anything in the glass cases. Those all have to stay and that sort of thing. But this alarm starts going off. The ship locks down and we get this kind of booby trap system because they've apparently disturbed something. We later find out it's the other collector, right? It's not the Starfleet people that have done this. It's the other collector. He wanted to steal Kalis's fornication helmet, which, you know, safety first, as Tendi says. That's, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I have many questions about the Kalis's fornication helmet. Oh, do you, well, what are they? I'll see if I can answer them for you. Just general wonderings about use and... I don't know. <laughs> you know, I had thought about till now, but you know, someone's going to do it. And I wish I could be the one to say, but it's probably, it won't be, but this should be a cosplay thing at a convention. Oh, totally. Yep. <laughs> I wonder if the Star Trek store will sell these online. Oh my God. <laughs> and what they would label them as. Yeah. Right. Safety first helmets. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> right beside the Spock helmet with the little flashing light. And all that. <laughs> or you could put a flashing light on this, this helmet, like merge the two. Why not, right? There you go. Yeah. With a little Kalis um, label on the front or something like that. Uh, yeah. I, I noticed when Worf tells the story of Kalis and Lucara, he leaves out the fornication helmet for some reason. So, yeah, I, I, I need to know what's missing from that story. It's, it's my understanding. I think there's a, a comic where... Worf actually does mention it to Alexander when he's teaching him about the Klingon birds and the Klingon bees. Ew, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I'm glad I missed that one. <laughs> yeah, and I like how Tendies later says, you know, it's Kalis's sex helmet. I'm not judging, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you pervert. Yeah. Not ju- no judgment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love Tendy. Oh man. Uh, so while this is all going on, we do get glimpses of stuff that's happening over on the Titan as well, where Boimler is currently assigned. Uh, and they're doing the high profile missions against the Packleds, trying to gather intelligence, trying to rescue miners and all this kind of stuff. And Boimler is obviously getting very overwhelmed. So he's kind of like the guy from the Vancouver last season. Uh, again, Cupid's Errant Arrow, where he's like, oh, the missions are too epic. I want to go somewhere quieter. Boimler's kind of finding that out now that maybe he's in a little bit over his head. He's trying to take all of the notes in the meetings, including Riker saying, you don't have to write that down. And Boimler's like, you don't have to write that down as he's writing that down. So, uh, yeah, he's kind of uh, having a bit of a rough time, it seems. Yeah. Poor Boimler. Uh, but yeah, I think it's funny. He's writing everything down. It reminds me of something like my wife would do. It's like, you don't, you take, you're taking way too many notes. <laughs> you know, you don't have to write down everything that's said, but isn't it cool just to see and hear Riker on the Titan? You know, we've had yes. a little glimpses, you know, the previous episodes, but this is like actually taking place. We're seeing, you know, meeting with his staff and taking, you know, doing his stuff on the bridge and, it was just so nice that we we're actually getting Riker on the Titan, but we don't see Troy and we don't see the characters we got in the Titan novels in this mm-hmm. episode. So I'm just assuming this is the night crew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm disappointed we didn't get to see Troy. And I know Mike McMahon had said there was, you know, story wise, not a really great way to bring her in. Probably would cost quite a bit to, you know, have her on just to kind of be there. But I don't know. I, I would have loved to have had Marina Sirtis back again as well. I understand that, you know, there's constraints and stuff, but uh, it's really too bad. Yeah, but they could have at least just had her character like standing in the background on the bridge or sitting in the, you know, like she's there. like there's a shot where you see everyone on the bridge. Well, not all the characters are talking and she could have mm-hmm. just been there and you could oh, there's Troy. She was on the bridge. You know, we just don't hear her. Yeah, they might not have even wanted to like remind people so that they're like, why didn't she say anything? (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's too bad. I would have liked to have seen her at least. I would have loved to have seen any of the novel characters of the Titan books in there, you know, because even if people aren't familiar with them, I mean, they just randomly picked or, you know, created these three characters to be on the away team. And they could have easily made one of them look like one of the characters in the book, not name them, you know, and you could just, and anybody who reads the novels would go, I know who that is. Yeah. Like, why not like a really large, burly, trill tactical officer, right? Right. Like, that would have been terrific. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad for sure. Yeah. Or, and then I thought, well, at least again, like the idea I said about Troy and the Bridge, just have that, you know, in the background. And you could say, oh, look at that big trill. I think I know who that might be. You know, mm-hmm. just in the background. Exactly. Well, look, those Easter eggs, those are Easter eggs, Mike McMahon. Those are real true Easter eggs. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're seeing the, this mission on the Titan. Boimler's getting overwhelmed. They're 
uh, infiltrating this mining facility where Boimler, you know, is like, what? No, I'm not Starfleet. I'm a miner with a heart of gold and I have dad issues. <laughs> I, don't, I love Boimler. Like, uh, oh, man. Uh, but yeah, they're they're undertaking all of these missions and they have to, like I said, rescue these miners. And there's a scene where, like, I think Boimler really comes into his own because for over the course of this episode, he's been pining for like the Enterprise D, the days of the Enterprise D where, you know, they were doing all these uh, crazy exploring missions and that kind of thing. And the other guys are disparaging it, saying, oh, yeah, they had string quartets every night and like 10 daycares and all this stuff. But by the end he kind of gets his team to realize like I joined Starfleet to study Moss or whatever it was. And I wanted to explore and they're like, yeah, we didn't just want to get into phaser fights all the time and all this stuff. I love that. That spoke to me as like the meaning of Star Trek. I really love that. Well, and now that you mentioned it, I'm thinking about the movies, how even Picard mentions, you know, remember when we used to be explorers? Yeah, we see in the movies yeah. there being bigger adventures because they're movies. So that's why they make these big adventures. So it's almost like a call out to like the Titan and the Enterprise have kind of gotten off track with the exploration and the crew is so used to it now that they forgot what the good old days were and their original tensions of joining Starfleet were. And I mean, I'm probably reading way too much into this and this is just a complete total coincidence, but I love that there's kind of a reaffirmation of what Starfleet and Star Trek is all about in an episode that aired on the same day as Gene Roddenberry's 100th birthday. Like, I know that's probably all just a total coincidence, but I'm like, yes, like that's what Star Trek's about. Oh, and it's on the creator's birthday. Yes. You know, I don't know. I love that. Yeah. Well, it's surprising, too, because the people who are making all this new Star Trek do not get Star Trek. They don't know it. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course they do. Right. Of course. There's the Absolutely. heart. We found the heart. They know. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, before we wrap up the Titan storyline and the big kind of twist at the end there, let's pop back to the Cerritos where the crew members are evading the system that's kind of targeting them because they're apparently stealing stuff. Now, okay, one little reference to something that's not Star Trek, the little painting that came to life with the creator, and he said, ah, 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 is that the... Is that Nedry's little virus on the computer from Jurassic Park where they try to get into the system? And he's like, ah, 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 you didn't say the magic word. Ah, ah, ah. And he just keeps repeating that because it was it sounded exactly like that. That went over my head, but I saw someone mention that online, mentioned Jurassic yeah. Park. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. It probably is. In reference it's to so like random. And it, and it was just like... It sounded exactly like that. I was like, oh, my God, they they got that idea at least there. That was that was a really nice surprise. You know, talk about the hollow message from Colonel Haas. When I first saw him, I thought, is this Trelane? You know, because hmm. he kind of gloats. I was like, is this like a Trelane character? <laughs> you know, it just I just got vibes of Trelane when I saw him. I don't think it. I know, of course, he isn't. But mm -hmm. that's, that's I can the, see that, though. Yeah, yeah, that was the first vibe I got from that. Uh, I love that. Well, this uh, as part of the countermeasures uh, to the th the purported thieves, 
uh, this device zaps, it starts like it starts to zap towards Tendi. Kayshawn pushes her out of the way and gets zapped by this and he gets turned into a little puppet, a little stuffy of, of Kayshawn, which, uh, I, and I know I'm hardly the first person to say this, uh, they need to start selling this now because it's adorable. <laughs> you know, we don't have enough puppets. I, I really enjoy puppets. You know, I mean, I'm not a big puppet person. <laughs> like I have tons of puppets, but when I do have them, I have so much fun with them because it's different than like an action figure. I mean, you're actually moving the mouth and moving them around. You're controlling it. I think it would be fun not to just to have him as a puppet, but other characters, you know, in Star yeah. Trek. And we could do like online video puppet shows for Star Trek. <laughs> I would love that. We'll have puppets of some characters and uh, collectible plates of other characters. And that's, we'll complete the, it'll be the puppet, plate collection from lower decks that's <laughs> so we've got plate. yeah so we've got paris starting the plate collection and we've got Kayshawn starting the puppet collection and we'll just you know keep adding characters i guess as 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 we will so yeah that'll be fun yeah okay well write that down we're gonna do a puppet show but yeah i would love to have Kayshawn pop puppet we're definitely somebody's gonna do it you know, I mean, I, I'm sure there's going to be homemade versions, but will we get an official licensed one? I th I think we might, but I know fan sets will probably make a little pin out of them. Oh my God. I didn't even think of that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so is fan sets going to make the Tom Paris collectible plate pin? So it'll be like a pin of the plate of Paris. Yes. Oh, the pin of the plate of Paris. I love alliteration. That makes me happy. <laughs> I can see that too. Yes. Oh man. I, I, I love this renaissance of, of Star Trek we're in right now. Like who would have thought that would be a possible product that we might get? Or I love it. Fanset makes the Kalis helmet, you know, there you go. You can get a pin of that too. <laughs> uh, fansets. If you're listening, go for it. I, I know lots of people would buy it. <laughs> uh, so, in this kind of escape from this system, we have uh, Mariner and Jet kind of competing with each other for the b various plans they're going to do. Mariner says they're going to they should fight their way through here and uh, get to the thing to shut it down. And Jet says, no, we need to take this shorter route and get to the escape pods and get out of here. And uh, they're kind of fighting with each other and each kind of going for dominance. But, you know, they eventually everybody goes with Jet's plan because uh, Mariner and Tendi agree with that one most. They say, uh, that one sounds a little safer. So they go that way and encounter a ton of resistance in the form of floating Roombas, which I thought was interesting. I know. I thought, are those vacuums? I'm like, no. And then she's like, they're going to suck us to death. I'm like, oh my gosh, they actually are. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, the, the kind of sarcastic, oh yeah, what are they going to do? Suck us to death? And then <laughs> one of them latches on, oh my God, they're going to suck us to death. <laughs> <laughs> stupid vacuums <laughs> yeah so i yeah they definitely look like uh roombas to me though yes, floating around they do. So. I, I i don't really understand why those are there yeah. <laughs> you know why roombas in the 24th century that fly around i guess yeah 
maybe that that technology just evolves and they start flying around and cleaning the air and the walls and stuff too yeah i guess i i guess so but yeah they look <laughs> the same as they do now so <laughs> they don't change their looks very much yeah for sure well they get overwhelmed pretty quickly and things seem really dire they've barricaded themselves in this one area from the the flying vacuums but they're kind of stuck there you know they don't know where to go and Jet's like, oh, this was my plan. I apologize. It's not working out. And then they realize that, like, maybe the people that should be in charge at this moment are Rutherford and Tendi because they have ideas of their own. They just weren't speaking up because Jet and Mariner were in charge. So they turn to them and they have their uh, very good scientific idea of i think it was grinding up the excalbian bones uh and you apply enough friction it becomes acidic and they could burn their way through the wall into like the 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 engineering tubes basically to get to where they need to go and they realize oh they should have been listening to them all along because you know maybe the big starfleet heroic plan isn't the right idea it's the scientific or engineering plan that needs to work here yeah and and so Mariner's like, well, why didn't you say this before? And they're like, because you were in charge. <laughs> yeah. And then Mariner and Jet's kind of embarrassed look between the two of them. And they should be embarrassed. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I love that it's their plan. Like that to me, and I know like we talk about what's the message behind these episodes. What's the deeper meaning? We always like to kind of have that. And to me, that's where this one's coming out here where you know, you don't always have to have the big heroic plan. You need to take the time to listen to the people around you and your coworkers and your fellow experts and come up with the best idea, not just the best sounding idea, but the one that will actually work. And that to me is just such a huge message of this episode. I love that, that, you know, Picard on the bridge always asked for suggestions, right? He never blazed in, where angels fear to tread and all this stuff. He didn't do like the big heroic thing. He said, you know, suggestions, what should we do? You know, and uh, that is just the best way to command. This just reminds me of something personal. I remember working at a cable TV company many, many, many years ago, and I led the marketing department and I reported to the general manager who ran the whole cable system. And one day he asked me, he's like, would you ever want to run a cable system? Would you want to be a general manager? Like, take my job someday. And I was like, no, I, there's no way I could do that. He's like, why couldn't you do that? I said, because I, I'm a marketing guy. Like, I mean, I know how the whole operations works, but I don't know. I'm not like a technical expert. You know, I, I'm not like a customer service expert. Like, I'm, I don't have expertise in all the other areas. And he goes, do you think I do? He's like, I don't either. He goes, but it's not about what you know. It's how you lead. Mm. He's like, you hire the people who are the experts. You listen to their expertise. You listen to their advice. He says, when they come to you and they say, what should we do in this situation? He's like, his response is always, well, what do you recommend? What are our choices? And he Mm -hmm. goes, they lay it out and he brings out from them what they think is the best solution. And then all he has to do is make the final judgment based on the information presented to him. And he says, yeah. you, know, you have a level head. You have the leadership skills. 
you could do this. And I remember thinking, yeah, I don't have to be an expert in everything. But that's kind of like what Mariner and Jet are doing. It's almost like we have to know we're the leaders. We have to make all the decisions. We have to be the experts. And no, you don't. You just know how to listen to the people working with you and then make the decision. That's the effective leadership. Absolutely. And one of the best lessons I ever learned or, or had imparted to me was like as a leader, you want to surround yourself with a team of people who are smarter than you. Right. And I, I love that. And yeah, your job is like to make the final decision, like you said, but you know, you can't just know everything. And the leaders that think they do are the ones that are just destined to fail because it, it just won't work. And we see that clearly in this episode as well. And I've seen many times in my experience of people who didn't hire those who were the experts and that were smarter than them because they were in fear that those people mm -hmm. would one day take their jobs. Exactly. Which is that's oh that that makes me angry when I see that. Like the the people that surround themselves with people that they can you know, cow into submission because they're, you know, not as smart or they don't know, you know, like they intentionally go with the, I hate to say dumber people because it makes them look better or yeah. makes them feel better about their knowledge. Yeah. yeah. That's I'm, the worst way to lead. Imagine if any of our captains were that way. For example, Kirk would never have Spock as first officer. He would try to get rid of him and replace him with somebody, you know, not as smart or not as experienced so that he could look better. Well, that's going to not work in his favor. You know, the mm -hmm. two complement each other. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, we see that, like I said, in this episode, for sure, that this is a team of really smart people and you want to use those resources as best you can, rather than just like, they're just along for the ride. What, what use is that then? No, you use their knowledge and use it to help you get out of the situation for sure. So they managed to get the escape pods, much to the surprise, I should say, of Captain Freeman, who hasn't been checking in with the away team because apparently on her latest evaluation report from Starfleet, it said that she micromanages too much. So she was being really hands off and not uh, checking in with the away team, which means she was completely surprised when it turned out there was an emergency and they had to escape on the escape pods and stuff. So... I feel like there's a little bit of a lesson in there as well, that like you can't swing the pendulum too far in either direction, right? Like you shouldn't micromanage, but at the same time, you should probably check in with your team every once in a while and make sure everything's going okay. Yeah, there's a nice balance. You have to find that balance. You don't want to micromanage too much and you don't want to be too hands off either. I've been in both situations of someone who's a micromanager and you just feel like you can't do anything. I've even worked briefly with someone who I had to do everything. And I, we as employees are just sitting around going like, she doesn't let us do anything. She tries to do it oh, all, yeah. you know? And yeah. then I've been in situations where managers have been so hands off that you're not really given any direction. You, you, you want someone to kind of guide you or make a decision, but they're just so removed that you can't even talk to them, <laughs> you know? So you need that <laughs> nice in-between area. Definitely, yeah. Which uh, I'd like to take this opportunity now to announce our new spin-off podcast, Management Lessons from Star Trek Lower Decks. And, you know, okay, I actually just said that as a joke, 
like we're not starting a new pod, but that's actually not a bad idea for a podcast. Yeah. Management lessons from Star Trek or a book. Like, there's so much here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want, I, I'm sure that's even been done. Probably. There's so many great lessons from all across Star Trek about how to manage a team and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So if there is a book out there like that, they need to do a new edition to include lower decks now. Yeah. Like it's just, it's like a silly cartoon, you know, all this kind of stuff, but there's, there's real value in it. There's real good lessons and a real heart of Star Trek in it for sure. Yeah. Because again, Mike McMahon understands Star Trek. He does. And he's like, this is what Star Trek's about. And it gives these life lessons and he patterns lower decks more heavily on the next generation than any other series. And that's what it does. So it's like, yeah, we can be funny and fun, but we're going to tell good Star Trek stories with moral lessons. Definitely. Well, speaking of uh, moral lessons and stuff, let's pop back to the Titan for the uh, kind of resolution to that story, because uh, we've got Boimler uh, helping everybody beam off the surface here. And some of the techno babble, he says, sounds very familiar. There's a distortion field very similar to one that uh, he studied in a historic mission uh, that comes up in Star Trek The Next Generation. And uh, they're trying to beam Boimler up and they engage a second containment beam to augment the first one, which is what happened in this other mission they're referencing. And Boimler is beamed up successfully. And then we find out there's a second Boimler who's managed to make it to the shuttlecraft and is heading back to the ship. And it's the Thomas Riker situation all over again. They've created a transporter duplicate of Boimler. And now there are two Boimlers on the on the Titan identical in pretty much every way, except now they're just two different people. So, oh boy, I love that basically this is how they resolve the whole Boimler not being on the Cerritos anymore because Boimler now goes back to the Cerritos because somehow, for some reason, he has to get demoted to Ensign. I didn't quite understand why exactly that had to happen other than just to make everything back the way it was while the other Boimler stays on Titan and changes his name to William. So we've got another, we've got William Boimler, just like Thomas Riker. Yeah. I didn't really understand that either why he was demoted back to Ensign when he returns to Cerritos, but maybe because he was promoted to Lieutenant for the job he was going to do on the Titan. And since he's not doing that job and he's not I don't know. It's confusing. Or maybe he just needs to eat some more corn to show more pips on his collar. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, that, by the way, is one of my favorite things in Star Trek now, that apparently every time we see somebody with the wrong number of pips, it's because they've been eating sweet corn and it's fallen on their collar. I love that. I know That's... the next time I have corn on the cob, I'm going to put some corn on my collar. <laughs> there you I go. just know I will. Oh, poor Harry Kim sitting in the mess hall, like trying to get it to stick to his collar, but it just won't. Like it just keeps falling off. He's like hoping nobody sees him. He's trying to put the corn on, but it's just not working. <laughs> or, or after seven seasons, at the very end, he returns to Earth and he goes to Starfleet and he finds out the corn situation. And he's like, oh, had I known that for seven years? And he goes to Janeway about it. And she says, well, Harry, I've been waiting for you to figure that. That's why I never promoted you. I thought as soon as you figure out the sweet <laughs> corn solution, I would give you another pip. Aw, poor Harry, man. <laughs> And then and she and then she goes, That's why in our pilot episode we had the lady go around going, Corn on the cob, corn on the cob. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So what did you think of this whole solution to Boimler going back to the Cerritos? Like, what did you think of, of how they managed to do that? <laughs> I thought it was brilliant because I'm just like, okay, we know we have to get him back to the Cerritos. It's going to be something where he does something wrong on the Titan. He fails at something or he's too scared and he's not ready for this because we're you know, presented with Boimler freaking out on the Titan all the time. And it's like, there's going to be some reason why they just have to send him back. And I love this solution because it's not anything I would have ever thought of. It's like, well, what if there were two Boimlers from the transporter? You have to keep one and send the other one back. I would never think of that. And it playing off of the Thomas Riker thing is so brilliant. I just love the fact that there's two Boimlers out there now. That's so hilarious to me. I think that's terrific. Yeah, I love that that he's out there just living this other life now. Uh, and you said you never would have thought of it. I, I Same here, I never would have thought of it. But apparently someone did think of it because, uh, was it Rutherford lost the bet to Tendi? Is that, or was it the other Tendi way Tendi lost I the can't... bet. She said, how'd you know? And he's like, it oh, just right, seems right. like a Boimler thing. <laughs> right, that's right. So Rutherford thought of it. Yes. <laughs> but we never did. I love it. Good Rutherford, yay. <laughs> um. You know, it's funny. He says that's kind of just a Boimler thing to do, but didn't he lose all his memories at the end of last season right before Boimler left? Yeah, but I guess uh, he's heard enough stories to figure it out. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Boimler is a but, legend in Starfleet now. Oh, for sure. The Boimler effect, yeah. right? Will go go down for thousands of years. <laughs> that, you know, yeah, for sure. But I, I love that. And, and, to your point, I love that it's a creative solution to this. It's not just like, oh, he transferred back. They have a real Star Trek crazy science reason for why he's back. But at the, but he's still also on the Titan. <laughs> I just love that. I think that's hilarious. Yeah, so now he's William Boimler on the Titan and still Brad Boimler on the Cerritos. But I would like to see William boimler later and see his growth because you know he was always freaking out on the titan and i think he's building his confidence now and so you know the, our boimler the brad boimler would look at the william boimler and go oh that could have been me well it is me <laughs> but it could have been me <laughs> yeah that that's interesting i do want to see them come back together at some point and compare notes and see where they each of them are for sure because i think that's really interesting that definitely opens up a lot of plot ideas for the future so i i certainly hope this isn't the last we've seen of william boimler i'm assuming it's kind of we're not going to see the titan very much anymore now like it feels like okay we're back on the cerritos we're following this boimler now I feel like it's not going to be the kind of back and forth like we saw in the last two episodes. So yeah, didn't and someone had mentioned uh, when we were doing the live show about in the trailer we see a Borg Boimler, but mm -hmm. is he wearing the Cerritos? Do we see a uniform? On? I don't think we do. I'm looking it up online uh, now. Not that I recall, but I'm not sure now. Yeah. I, I don't see, I just see like from the neck up, so I can't really tell. Right. But I, th I think it would be funny if we do run back into William Boimler and Brad Boimler sees him and he's like, oh, hey, how you doing? Wait, what is that? You're a commander now? And he's like, yep, I'm told in just about a year I'll probably be a captain. 
And Brad's like, I'm still an ensign. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> so the fact that Boimler had to be demoted back to ensign kind of remind, and I wonder if this is like a little bit of a, a nod to this. It annoys me that Thomas Riker, when they find him, he's a lieutenant and then he's back in Starfleet, but he's still a lieutenant because apparently Riker got a promotion directly because of that mission that created Thomas Riker because he saved the colonists and stuff. So he got a promotion to Lieutenant commander at that point because of that for exceptional bravery or whatever. But like up until that moment, Thomas and William Riker were the same person. So Thomas did that too. And in addition to that, he was stranded on the planet for eight years because of that mission. So he did all the same bravery stuff that will did and got stuck on the planet for it. So when they rescue him, why didn't he get a promotion? <laughs> He's just still a lieutenant. Like, that's cruel. And so now I'm thinking like, oh, is the fact that they demoted Boimler because of this transporter thing? Is that like just a little bit of a nod to that? That Starfleet just is really unfair to transporter duplicates? <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I think the whole promotion stuff in Starfleet has me confused in many other situations, too. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we've seen pips, which is why the sweet corn thing is funny. But we've seen people in pips and then there's a pip gone or there's a pip added and then it's gone again. And, you know, we've seen that so many times that it's it's a bit confusing. Heck, even ran in the undiscovered country has different rank than she does when we see her in flashback. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I guess maybe when it comes to rank in Starfleet, you don't get a pay raise with it. So maybe people just don't care as much. <laughs> I don't know. But even like Scotty got promoted to captain. And then when we saw him in the voyage home, he was wearing commander on his uniforms. Mm. Like it's stuff like that. And like O'Brien had two pips that went down to one. <laughs> well, he just really loved sweet corn, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've seen many things like that. And then again, it's like, why does somebody get promoted from ensign to lieutenant with like a year or two? Like, you know, for example, like Nog, we saw, saw him go from a cadet to an ensign to a lieutenant, you know, and there's Harry Kim for seven years. It's just an ensign. Like, it's it's kind of strange. And even the Enterprise crew from the NX-01, you know, after a decade, oh, no one got promoted. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I still have issues with that. But yeah, for sure. I remember the creators of Voyager saying that they needed an ensign at all times. That's why they left Harry Kim as an ensign. And I'm, I'm like, okay, that's from a creative standpoint. But is there a need on starships to have a certain quota mm -hmm. of ensigns? You can't, and you can't have a starship where you've eventually promoted everyone above ensign. There's not a single ensign on the ship. That sounds ridiculous to me, but maybe there's some truth in that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so... Part of it was Riker said, um, you know, one of you has to transfer back to the Cerritos and be demoted to Ensign. Maybe it is like there's o there's only an one opening on the Cerritos and it's for an Ensign. Like there's just no higher openings on the ship. Yeah. So that, yeah. that actually kind of makes sense. Yeah, there's a but. certain quota and, the, and, the certain, and certain job openings that you can't be a certain rank. You know, you can't be a mm -hmm. captain and fill that lower deck rank. You know, you have to, this is only for ensigns, you know, we can't yeah. even put lieutenants into that position. 
Yeah. By the way, I just have to say, like, the creators of Voyager saying that to Garrett Wong that, oh, we need an ensign, so you need to stay ensign. Like, that's so, the next generation. <laughs> by the end of the show, they had captain, commander, 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 lieutenant, commander, lieutenant, commander, lieutenant. That was their entire, like, come on. Come on. You don't need an ensign. Ugh. Yes, but... That's just mean. But on the <laughs> Enterprise D, there's still in Starfleet that ensigns were transferring on. In Voyager, you can't transfer anyone to the ship. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, was a, he was a department head. He could have had a promotion. <laughs> he, he was promoted in their hearts. <laughs> I don't blame Janeway. I blame Rick Berman. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes. The true commander. Admiral Berman. Oh, darn it. <laughs> Well, with that said, I guess uh, the last thing we should talk about is Kayshawn the puppet, and uh, he's going to be fine, though. Dr. Ta'ana says uh, he'll be fine. She's dealt with lots of puppets in the past. He'll be fine in like an hour or so. Uh, but Dr. Miglamo wants to play with him and use him as a therapy puppet. But he d- he didn't read the sign, and, and Dr. Ta'ana gives him what for for that. <laughs> I want to know from Dr. Tiana who are the other puppets that she's had to deal with? <laughs> You know, <laughs> uh, read one of her uh, papers that she's written about the effect or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, any final thoughts and a rating for Kayshawn, his eyes open? Like I said at the beginning of the episode, I really enjoyed the episode. I thought it was fun. I do want to go back and look for those Easter eggs. But I did enjoy the creative decision of Boimler and how they returned him back to the Cerritos. I like the collection ship and just seeing all the items there. Uh, I even like the miners with the like cheese balls as snacks from the packlets down on the planet. And <laughs> I, I, there's, yeah, and even just Freeman being a micromanager and the lesson that we talked about, about leadership and stuff. So, yeah, I enjoyed all aspects of it. I just didn't find it as laugh out loud funny as I did from the first episode of the season. But, it still ranks up there. So so I would give this a ranking of four out of five corn pips. I love it. Yeah. I, I have to say, like, this has turned into one of my favorite episodes of Lower Decks. I just that that solution with Boimler at the end was so great. The little one-off jokes worked so well. The introduction of Kayshawn and the Temerians just really I, I loved that. Like, it just really made me happy. So uh, I have nothing but good things to say about this episode. I couldn't find anything that I didn't like in it. Uh, Dr. Miglimo, I, every time he's on, I'm really happy. And it even has a little Dr. Ta'ana moment at the end, which uh, I love. Anytime she's, I wish she, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of her, but even her little appearance in this episode just I loved it. So uh, I'm going to have to give this one, I think, uh, my rating after having rewatched it uh, from last night, I would say I five out of five attempts at capturing data, I think, is going to be my rank. So I l- just really enjoyed this episode. And yet they still haven't been able to capture him. <laughs> five out of five. Good effort. <laughs> but not ultimately successful. Nice. Absolutely. Good rating. Yeah. Well, uh, we want to hear from all of you. What did you think of this episode? Let us know. You can reach out to us, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at PositivelyTrek. And we're on Facebook 
in our page and our discussion group. Just search for Positively Trek Discussion Group on Facebook. And Bruce, where can people find you online? I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And then you can also find me on the Star Wars report. Whenever we put out an episode, I might be there. And then I'm occasionally been doing things on literary tracks. And that's about it. And of course, the live show I did just last weekend. And it looks like I might be doing it this weekend. So you can see me there, too. Oh, thank you so much, Bruce. You and Brandy were awesome. And I really, really appreciated uh, you filling in for me. And yeah, hopefully my life can get back to some sort of normalcy soon. As you can hear from the echoey sound that I'm giving off here, I'm still in a hotel room uh, probably till the end of August. So yeah, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats. You can find me on youtube.com slash Productions and Instagram at Kurtrats47 and all kinds of places, just not as often as usual lately. So thank you all so much for watching and thank you especially to the Patreon supporters. I really do appreciate your help with the show. Thank you so very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Until then, as always, stay positive. Riker to bridge, give me warp in the factor of five, six, seven. What does that even mean? Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.